Welcome back, everybody, to the Sports Ball Politics Podcast on December 20th, 2017. I'm Ross, joined by my esteemed co-host, Stephen. hey What's going on with you? You don't have anything in your mouth. You don't have chickens on the loose at your estate. What's chickens going on? are in. The food is in the belly. I got some weed here. I got a little bit of. I got a little bit of some twisted teas, and I, we're about to get twisted in this episode. Are you <laughs> twisted? Are you regressing back to like eleventh grade? Yeah, yes, where it was more about the cider jacks and like all that type of fine. Do you remember? Remember Absolutely. that? Do you remember? Like I remember my. I was a cider jack guy from the start. So was I. It was. I can't. But like now, I look at it and I'm like, oh god, just like I can't even think of the taste. Right. You know, and having oh, god. like eight to twelve of those, oh, which would just leave you hammered. By the way, that's true. That's true. But I, I specifically remember, like, dude, he's. Johnny's got the Mike's Lemonade, dude. You want to drink some Mike's Lemonade, dude? And that was, like, the coolest thing. And you get, like, a stomach ache, so you have to go outside and, like, burp it up or fart it out. And I, 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 this is what happened to a friend. This is what happened to a friend, not me. Not me. Exactly. Uh, yeah. I'm going to go take a – I'm going to take a get a smoke. No, you're not going to smoke. You're going to try to pass gas outside because you drank your Mike's Lemonade too fast, you pussy. Oh, um, so what are we t- – <laughs> But I digress. What are we talking about tonight? There's never any shortage of fun stuff going on. Well, yeah, there's a lot of stuff as as uh, as we've been bringing up. It's a continuation of all the stuff we brought up. But today we're going to have you break down the historic uh, passage of Donald J. Trump's new tax overhaul, uh, the biggest of such uh, tax amendment in the last thirty plus years here in the U.S. Yep. So. Big celebration for all of the uh, people like me who are in the lower class economically. And I always joke, like, if you think you're in the middle class because that's been completely decimated in America, you're probably not. You're on the fringe of the upper class and you're just floating yourself on debt. But I digress. So we're going to go through the tax plan. Yep. Uh, and what that means, and then what else are we going to get into? So, uh, Andrew McCabe, who we've been telling you all along is like the operations leader of this whole FBI cover-up with Hillary. Uh, and who was he? Just, who's, he was, who's, uh, McCabe? McCabe, Andrew McCabe was Jim Comey's number two at the FBI. He was acting director when Comey got fired. Uh, he's also the guy that did not recuse himself from the Clinton investigation until a week before the election in 2016, it's a big deal because his wife ran for state senate. Not the big senator. That sounds, you know, uh, misnomer, but a state senator is less important than a regular senator. The way like a Chuck Schumer or Pat Toomey or Liz Warren is, they're one of two senators for each state. A state senator, there's multiple um, for a certain district. And she's the one that got about 700000 of super PAC money, which is unheard of for someone running for state Senate. Um, and they're a big Democrat donor family and blah, blah, blah. So McCabe is kind of the linchpin here. A lot of this stuff, I think, was done under Jim Comey's nose um, because Jim Comey's eight feet tall. So everything's under his nose. Uh, but, you know, to be fair, and I said this last time, um, Jim Comey's the cleanest, dirty shirt in the bunch. So... When people, when all this stuff hits, I don't necessarily need Jim Comey to go to jail. He's, he's, a, he's, I guess, a decent guy, but he's just, he was a swamp creature, and he got played by the swamp. Um, and 
you know, was he a noble guy? Maybe at one point, but he just, he fell for the swamp. Um, there's actually a, an interview surfacing where he talks about how wrong he constantly is in his uh, conclusions. Um, he has a problem being responsible and accountable for telling the truth. Um, it was a very strange interview. It's from last fall. Um, and he talks about being wrong a lot and having to put aside any preconceived notions and accepting better advice from other people. So that's kind of the guy sounds like someone who's consistently at odds with the truth and whether his conventional wisdom is better or more accurate than other people's conventional wisdom. Um, so he's a very interesting character, but I just think he's a guy that got played out by the swamp and now he's kind of, he's coming to terms with the fact that, oh shit, I may be in some trouble here, uh, which leads people to the rumor of whether or not he has flipped, he's turned, he's being quietly interviewed behind the scenes. I have no information on that, but it's, it's a good a guess as any right now on Jim Comey. So, uh, kind of a rabbit hole, but, um, yeah, McCabe is the guy that was in uh, the FBI. The FBI guy that was in uh, testimony for about eight hours yesterday, and he's got another big day ahead of him tomorrow. And the All right, so we'll connect the dots. Yeah, we'll that. connect and the then, dots in a bit. Yep. And then what's uh, what's the third thing? Are we gonna, are we going to get a little more into crypto and in Bitcoin and where that's gone and where it's at today? We can. We can talk about crypto. Um, I saw a very interesting article today. I was going to send you, Steve, about. Government is going to, the federal government's going to put out its own crypto, like clockwork, right after you said this last week. And I, I'll send you the article behind the scenes. I have to read it. But, you know, the federal government's like, ooh, we got something special going on here. Oh, yeah. Something that we can regulate, make more money with. Donald Trump's all over it. Right. Right. So we'll see where that goes. So that'll be our third discussion point. So Fantastic. Um. I guess, you know, first things first, let's talk about, so everyone was saying, oh, Trump and the Republicans have yet to get a huge legislative victory because the currency and current, well, here's the thing, the currency in the federal government or the the DC beltway currency is what legislation have you passed? Because that, that's how we judge people on how many laws and regulations you put in. That's a currency in, in DC when in actuality he's removed 22 laws and regulations for every one that gets put in he's right. actually doing a reverse legislation where he's taking some away but um here we are and it finally passed the, the senate and it's gone back to the house for final voting um and it's it's live at this point um in effect go over some of, what are some of the the points that you know uh, like the the lower class economically and the diminishing if even existent middle class uh, can look forward to in this plan okay so i'll go through i have a summary in front of me because i know less are less finance agile people listening uh, and that's fine it can get boring and people's eyes can glass over so why don't you jazz it up with your winning personality Ross? okay sounds good so we'll, we'll go in 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 two parts we'll go in the how does it affect individuals and families and how does it affect corporations for me, just to, as a background, for me, I don't give a shit. I mean, I give a shit, but I don't give a shit about the individual piece of it. That's all what I call incrementalism, where you have the establishment kind of takes over and layers in this and that and the other thing. And it's not that's not going to drive GDP above 3%, right? That's the stuff that, okay, that's a little tweak to the existing. There's a lot of tinkering and tweaking. 
that's the stuff that the DC people go crazy over. Um, personally, I'm a guy that looks at the what, what's it going to do for corporations, and we'll talk about that in a second. That's going to be the game changer. That's the Trump part of it. The individual and family stuff is just the horse trading that goes on behind the scenes. We haven't seen that in 40 years. We also haven't seen the corporate rates change uh, dramatically in 40 years. So with that as a backdrop, um, some of the impacts to families and individuals, first things first, it lowers the individual taxes uh, and tax rates to 0%, 10 10%, 20%, 22%, 34%, 35%, 39%, 37%. So roughly they, they pushed each category down two uh, percent um, and they didn't and they didn't I mean the tax brackets there's still the same amount of tax brackets um, but you know they, they knocked them down a couple points again that's little piddly stuff um, you're gonna get quoted a number that says the average family of 45,000 a year of income is gonna save about 1200 uh, and then do the math from there you know if your salary is twice that presumably you would double it so you'd be kind of saving twenty five hundred, you know. Anytime you hear a, a tax plan, the the impact they'll quote a number and say, "Oh, you have twelve hundred more dollars in your pocket," and that's to be fair, that's what Sarah Sanders is saying. And yes, it's great if you have that in your pocket, but divide that out over a year, that's like a hundred bucks, and then divide that by two paychecks, that's about fifty bucks a paycheck, um, which is great. Not complaining about it. Um, but if every other cost in your life has gone up, uh, you know, okay, your head's not as bad above, below water, right? So if, if groceries have gone up inflation wise in the last two years by five, 10% or even two to 4% and your health insurance has gone up by 20% and your car insurance has gone up by 10%, um, you know, and, and other things are going up, you're, this is just you keeping your head above water a little more. Um, but again, it's a small victory, but that's why I don't get into the incrementalism. I don't get into the individual family stuff as much as some of the other hyperventilators would. Um, what's another thing? Well, they increase the standard deduction from between 6,300 and 12,000 to between 12,000 and 24,000. So you can deduct more. Um, that's great for, you know, your simple, one, you know, uh, taxes 101, that means you get to deduct more. Um, you can still write off the cost of state and local taxes. Uh, the child credit goes from 1000 to 2000 uh, which is great for me. I have three kids. Um, instant, instant, a bigger return there. That's a big deal. Um, the dependent and child care tax credit remains. The adoption tax credit remains. Uh, one of the big ones, the mortgage interest deduction. People thought that they could no longer deduct interest after a certain level. Um, it'll be available up until $750,000 for a, a, a home mortgage. Um, so that obviously is great for homeowners below mansion size houses. Um, so no changes there. Uh, provides relief to people with expensive medical bills, um, which is great if it exceeds 7.5% exceeds of gross income adjusted. That's great. Um, you know, what else? It, it continues and expands deduction for charitable contributions. It eliminates Obamacare's individual mandate penalty. That's huge. It guts 
it guts the mandated penalties. So when you hear people say, so I know they haven't attacked Obamacare. Yeah, I mean, they tried, but they failed. They'll get there next year after certain senators are not in office anymore slash on earth. Um, uh, so, you know, that's something they'll get the Obamacare part fixed next year. But in the meantime, if you have Obamacare, you just won't be penalized anymore. Uh, so when you hear people saying, oh, tens of thousands of people are going to die from this, blah, oh, the people are going to die, everyone's going to die, like, seriously, you just you just won't be taxed on something, okay? You can still choose to keep your Obamacare, it just won't get taxed anymore for the penalty if you don't have it. Um, you know, you maintain the earned income tax credit, you improve savings vehicles for education uh, via your 529 uh, and then finally, provide support for graduate students by continuing to exempt the value of reduced tuition from taxes. That Again, that's all noise. I mean, what's your digestion of the individual and family part of it, Steve? I know I read really fast, and uh, there's a lot to digest. But, I mean, are you in the same boat as me where you see that as, oh, that's just horse trading among the D.C. Beltway types, and that's not going to drive big-ass change in the country? It's going to help us in our pocketbooks, but, you know, not to the extent we think it is. Or do you see no, it completely I like different? To, I, I mean, I always try to, from my perspective, come at things from a common sense perspective. And common sense says to me, the high, high level, one of the things that's going on here is that he's, I mean, dude, our tax code, and this is something that you're more familiar with, right? It's like 10,000 pages. They are consistently adding hundreds of pages a year to where even the most professional and well-run tax outfits, they don't even know a lot of the things on a year-to-year basis that are changing or able to keep up because of just the madness, right? It's turned into a complete farce. It's complete madness. Right. Um, it's, it's chaos. So the first thing that this does is it scales back and it simplifies the tax plan, the tax code for our country. Good, right? Let's start with that. Good, positive. Um, The second thing to my understanding, high level, what it does is, again, common sense, are the people who are a majority of this country, it's something like 80-something percent, really close to that, don't do itemized deductions. And for those people, uh, you're either going to be able to save more money and it's also going to be more simple for you. Yep. Yep. Right. Yep. Positive. Good. That is, again, I use that is all of the poor people, which is a majority of this country. And then all of the people who think they're middle class, but they're not. They're just at the top of the poor class that are floating themselves on credit. They benefit from that. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's, you know, those, those things are really, really important. Again, you said the, the, the scale back of, of the Obama, uh, you know, uh, payment fraud scam. Right, where if you're not insured, we're going to penalize you yep. through your taxes. That's illegal. Like, I, I don't even know how they even got that approved. Right, right. Um, so that's, a, that's a, a repealed, as you said. So, you know, all really, really positive things. Uh, lowering, you know, for me, getting into the business side of things where I'm more, you know, I, I can better understand this. Lowering the corporate tax rate. Ah, so do we want to go, do we, I have a bunch of bullet points for the corporate side of things. Yeah, why don't, why don't you get into the corporate side and I'll, and I'll talk about that. But I think, you know, just a kind of blanket statement, I, I think, you know, and again, like, you know, just like anything, I, I don't claim to be a tax expert. You know, this is just from what I'm understanding and reading through it and talking to people like you and people on the other side. 
I think that your average everyday American that that needs to more than ever either save money or even like you said, even if it's fifty dollars a paycheck put back into their paychecks from what they're used to, that is such a win for a for a majority of America. And if that's what this represents, positive. Right. Exactly. Now, and, and to, to close that off, I mean, I remember a couple of years ago, 2008, uh, Bush tried the stimulus where he would write, you know, Uncle Sam would write a $300 or $600 check to rel- uh, to taxpayers or to, to family members. So I remember specifically getting one uh, for about either 1800 or 2400 I forget which one, just a random check from Uncle Sam. Uh, for each member of the family. That's back what we had, I think, four. Uh, so it must have been 2400 or whatever. I don't know. But either way, um, or it was, you know what it was? It was 600 per adult and then 300 per kid. So we got $1,800. Uh, Steve, you probably got a $600 check. Uh, and that was great because it's instant money that you can either deposit. The idea was you'd use it in the economy uh, mind you, what ended up happening three months later was the crash. Um, so, but at the end that of the day, well, that was well timed, right? Exactly. But it <laughs> here's was it. Free money. Here's your free money before hey, the shit hits the fan. Right. Boom. But you know that doesn't. But the, the cynic in me says, okay, well, that's code for we were overtaxed to begin with. You're just giving it back to us, right? We're paying through it for that through our taxes anyway. Um, you're just giving us the money back in some fashion above and beyond our normal tax, uh, tax returns. So, um, but now you fast forward and even to be credit where credit's due, even when Obama would try to do some tax reform to the individual and family level, that would mean that the Ajamians get 20 bucks more a month or a paycheck, which again, it's money that I wouldn't have had before. It's not a game changer. Um, but again, what's a game changer to me may be a different number for other families so you know it's all relative to what your income is but um money is money if it's in your pocket that's great it's more stuff you can do with your family and do with your private time but you know those if you notice those individual highlights are not going to change the game for people it's just going to loosen the noose a little bit on you which is what gets us into the corporate side of things. Right, and before you give your stats, I'm going to give you some, which is interestingly enough, we're in America and this is the way we do it. I'm going to give you results already in Yep. from this tax plan being announced. Yep. And then you're going to get into the corporate side and break it down. We're going to start with the results of what you're about to talk about. You ready? Yep. AT&T yes. publicly announces they're giving 200,000 employees a $1,000 bonus. Yep. Right? So on top of, for some so for some big corporations that for a long time have held a lot of money out of this country, and you could probably explain on that, Microsoft, Apple famously has, what, uh, billions of dollars in a weird town in Ireland. Yep. Tax haven, right? Yep. Trump's paving the way to bring it back. And he's going to give them the opportunity by lowering the tax rate to do it. And then mark my words, I'll go on record here right now, predicting the ones that don't play ball, as you can imagine who it's going to be, the obstructionist lefty tech companies. Yep. Yep. He's going to penalize the shit out of them. Yep. And he's going to bring that money back economically. Right. Okay. Right. So AT&T 
200,000 employees, a thousand dollar bonus, and investing a billion dollars uh, back into the company infrastructure, etc. Yep. Right? Yep. Boeing announces $300 million for workers in charities. Yep. Okay. More recently, close to your center of the heart, Comcast announces employee bonuses, $50 million in investment. Wow. Right here. That's huge because that is Philadelphia-based Comcast. They're building skyscrapers. That is huge. Huge. What does that do to all of those blue-collar workers? uh, You know, and and also, you know, remember the repeal of of uh, of the uh, of the net neutrality, which paves the way for a Comcast to invest big money because now you're not hamstrung by the government who's who's classified this as a public utility talking about the internet and net neutrality right right so here is just not only because that's two big policies right a rollback of net neutrality pair that with the tax thing comcast 50 billion in investment guarantee you that's infrastructure that's going to be obviously you know uh you know new cost new new uh technology bringing in new jobs etc yep and, and just to just to give you perspective, just to give you yep, you better believe it. And just to give perspective, not to keep it Philly centric, but you know, we'll, whenever whenever my colleagues and I are in the city office, we always call it this this the Comcast scaffolding because there's always skyscrapers being built exclusively to house Comcast jobs and corporate. And that was before that was like a year and a half, two years ago that they were doing this. The new Comcast buildings are going up. Comcast basically is going to run this city the way DuPont runs Delaware, right? It's just going to have it by the balls. Uh, the way, you know, energy is coming out of Houston. It's going to be the new tech haven for this multimedia conglomerate known as Comcast. And they're going to start, you said $50 billion with a B? Or a million? Billion with a B, Ross. Wow. Wow. But they, you know what they're, what they're doing? And I wanted to add to that list, Fifth Third Bank Corp, I believe, um, is doing a similar thing with bonuses uh, and investment and all that stuff. This is, the, this is the game changer stuff. It's not the $5, $20, $100 in your pocket a month more that you had before Trump was in. Um, that's nice to have. That gets you a six-pack every now and then or Domino's Pizza. Um, but the corporate stuff, this is day one. We're already getting these announcements. Listen to what I just said in the infrastructure, the jobs created, investment back into America. Okay, now, why don't you get into the actual, uh, you know, what what this new tax plan means to corporations and and, and pave the way for them to make these decisions that we just gave you the results. Gotcha. Okay, so the big, the biggie, effective January 1st, is that the corporate tax rate goes from 35% to 21 percent that is huge that is a almost a 40 percent reduction that now makes us more uh, competitive on a global scale it does because we're the we're the highest tax corporate tax rate in the industrialized world so people still did business with us in spite of the fact that we had a big ass tax rate Um, it's the largest reduction of the corporate tax rate in our nation's history 14 percent but 40 percentage point reduction um that is huge that also means uh that companies are now saying okay 
we can, you know, they're still going to do their tax havens. And that's something we'll talk about as the third tier is kind of like who's getting punished by this. Um, but it's going to it's going to bring back the companies that said, OK, employees are getting more expensive. So we'll outsource them in India or China or Malaysia or Indonesia or wherever. But we can at least start building plants because there's more incentives to bring those jobs back from Europe, from China. Uh, if manufacturing has just been technologically uh, put out of business, so be it. I wouldn't want them to force manufacturing jobs back if there was no need for it, if it's something that robots could do. That's kind of the sick fuck in me that says, robots? yeah, robots. If you can Is do it, it with, if you can do that shit with robots, sorry, expand your skill set. That's where I kind of become a dick. But um, other than that, that's going to bring jobs back if they can do manufacturing back here, if they can set up plants here and get a tax break. Also, it delivers significant tax relief to Main Street job creators. So it offers a 20% tax deduction on the first 315000 of joint income on all small businesses, S-Corps, partnerships, LLCs, sole props, um, sole proprietorships. It, it, it's, that, that helps get people um, who are doing small businesses, the entrepreneurs that actually drive the That's job us. growth. That's, That's us. That's you. That's where you fall, really. Um, it establishes strong safeguards so that wage income does not receive the lower marginal effective tax rates. Okay, that's kind of boring and hard to explain. Uh, allows businesses to immediately write off the full cost of new equipment. That's awesome. So if you're starting a new, uh, you know, uh, equipment maintenance company or, you know, some Any type... capital-intensive startup that has to do with heavy equipment, which is a lot, right? That's farming... Uh, you know, that's that in this world is manufacturing, like the new type with laser cutters, right? 3D printers. All of that is what? Written off. Fantastic. That is huge. Right? Positive. Anything that's positive for innovation in encouraging and spurring entrepreneurship is positive. What I felt, and this is now my personal experience in being uh, uh, paying taxes under Obama, is I was actually penalized for being an entrepreneur, if you can believe it. Wow. And I actually sat there in front of the H&R Block lady, and I broke it down, as you know that I could, and I laid it out the case, and I'm like, so you're actually telling me that because I'm in business for myself in America, and I'm trying this and taking a shot, I'm being penalized and having to pay more because of that? And right. she goes, yes. Ugh. Yep. The tax and lady was, at H&R Block told you this. It was shocking. Wow. That's crazy. Yep. That was that was that was the tax plan under Obama. And to be fair, he could have inherited that tax plan because you know I I don't remember if he had actually switched anything over since Bush. But hey, it was eight years of his watch. You know that's something that he could have he could have changed and made part of his priorities. Right, and, and to, again, to, to slap on the wrist of the Bush stuff. I mean, yes, it was great. It's everyone loves getting a check, and I'm not going to complain and look a gift horse in the mouth, but. Outside of that, which is the tail end of his tenure as eight years of president, for the first seven years, the Bush tax cuts didn't really impact us, Steve. I mean, we were probably, what, mid-20s when this, that stuff was happening? Right. You know, yeah, that's 600 bucks. Yeah, so so you got that at the end of it, but, you know, if I if someone were to stop me at the train I station... I lost that to my bookie anyways. Well, I was going to say, that probably, that probably went to dumb shit anyway, right? If I were to tell someone at the train station, if they were to ask me, Ross, how do you benefit as a 25, 27-year-old... Um, because of the Bush tax cuts, I could give an intelligent answer because I wasn't making an income that that would really change the game for me. It's seven dollars more in my pocket under the Bush plan, and when the Obama plan goes in, everyone you know cra screams about it. But I'm, I'm quietly in the background saying, "Okay, honey, 
we're going to probably get $10 more a month or $10 more a paycheck. Uh, so I'm not going to freak out about it. So that's why you and I, Steve, wouldn't get in pissing matches over tax policy from Obama and Bush because it didn't really change our world that much. But what we're seeing out of the corporate side of things is a big deal. Uh, and this is stuff, so they're, what they're doing, and people were concerned they were going to get rid of stuff that um, was going to you know, hinder them. Uh, they're going to retain the low-income housing tax credit. They're going to preserve the R&D tax credit. They're going to retain the tax-preferred status of private activity bonds. Eliminates the corporate AMT, thereby lowering taxes and eliminating confusion so American job creators can focus on growing their business and hiring more workers rather than filling out more paperwork. That's huge. You want your entrepreneurs to have all the shackles off so that they can do what they do best. Whatever the hell they... Whatever the hell widgets they work with. Exactly. Exactly. So you're now lighting a fuse for them. Modernizes the tax system so that our global business won't be held back by outdated worldwide tax systems that result in double taxation for some of our job creators. Um, it makes it easier for American business to bring home foreign earnings to invest back in jobs here in our local communities. And then finally, prevents American jobs, headquarters, and research from moving overseas because it eliminates the incentives that now reward companies for shifting jobs, profits, and manufacturing plants abroad, as we talked about earlier. So it's doing everything that makes them want to bring everything back here. And that's, and that's what you need to do. That's the stuff that he was selling us on the campaign trail. That's why this is something that I wouldn't want him to have rushed in the first couple months. you got to get right. this right because you can't, you can't dust off a tax uh, you know, proposal every year. I mean, if you're yeah, gonna, he had, to, he had to distract the obstructionists, anyways. Right, he had exactly. To the other areas before he rolled this out. Exactly. So you could say this was a strategy that he played really well. It kept. This the is the failure. This is this is the backbone of MAGA. This is where it all begins. Listen, at the end of the day, let me bring this up too. <laughs> like this is why I also love this guy. Everybody knows it. They're in the. They're in. The, I think they must have been in the Oval Office or you know the Kennedy Room or wherever they're at today. You know, doing a meeting, Trump Center Court, uh, everyone around him, and he turns to Doctor Ben and he goes, Doctor Ben, can you lead us in prayer? Right. Yep. Oh Jesus! And I'm sitting. I'm sitting there, and of course Doctor Ben starts praying, and everyone puts their heads down, and the, the entire room does right. It's yep. Everyone. Everyone has to follow soup and under, you know, uh, under uh, Emperor Trump. Yep. And I'm just sitting there and just watching it. You know how I feel about religion, but there's one thing that can keep me in, you know, like, supporting religion, and that's the left and watching them, you know, in their tears, their crocodile tears. Yep. And I could just see this, like, their heads popping off watching them pray right there <laughs> in our government, right? Yep. Like, doing that. And I was like, holy shit. And then... Dr. Ben, as I'm listening to his prayer, which is very eloquent, very well said, by the way, yep. um, he brings up the toxic debt that we have in this country, Yep. right? The $20 trillion. And I pointed out to someone today as they were glorifying the Lord Emperor Obama as the greatest thing to ever walk on earth and talking about his legacy. And I was like, listen, let's not even get into the debate about the legacy X, Y, and Z. That could get into semantics. And, you know, just things that it's what you feel and I feel. Okay, let's not get in there. Let's talk about facts and numbers, right? Undoubtedly, 
when he left office after eight years, we were at $20 trillion in debt and going the other way, right? Like going up. When we hit $24 trillion, that's insolvency, Ross. What does insolvency mean when it, when, when it comes to this country? Inability to pay your bills. And what is our constitution? One of the things, the many brilliant things that it does, it guarantees that we will always pay our bills. Correct. Correct. So if you've brought us that far, you're the leader of eight years, like your legacy can't be that great, right? Like there's a red light going off. The house is on fire. Yeah. We're all standing there watching it. Right. And it was just bringing up the Dr. Ben thing. And it just reminded me of going. I don't ever hear any politician, including Trump, talking about that $20 trillion in debt. Mm-hmm. Right. And how are we going to take care of that? Because that's the thing that's going to get us and kill us before global warming does. Yep, that's true. Right? That's true. Uh, a runaway inflation because of that debt, uh, that will kill us way before global warming does. That's true. Right? That's true. Um, you know, but but it, it's fascinating, you know, mainstream media, left, right, how that's just not center of the plate and served up to us as, hey, you know, I'm, I want to tell you the truth. Here's what everybody needs to understand is the biggest national – I mean, it's a national security threat. Of course it is. Of the course size it is. of that debt, right? And I don't think – and that's the problem, right? Like, like war, we can get into that. It's been, it's been, it's something that we're undergoing every day. We're at war every day in multiple countries. And, and, and we as common Americans don't even think about it. And that's a major disconnect problem. Yep. Yep. And if we uh, as Ameri- and if we as Americans don't think about it, Joe Sixpack listening to sports talk radio all day and Howard Stern, um, they're not telling their kids because they don't understand it either. There's a big gap yeah, there. The you know, and you know, and this will tell you how, interestingly enough, uh, how much of the spectrum I like to follow when it comes to politics. And I'll give this person a big boost because I'm 99% of the time never doing that. But our friend Rachel Maddow wrote a fantastic book about exactly what I was talking about and how, if you remember back, World War II, the entire country mobilized. And I don't know if you know this, but like my my poor dad and rich dad, poor dad, and that whole thing, uh, Carl Barron, uh, born and raised in Cambridge, died at 98, maybe 99, Jesus, mm. inventor of the furniture leasing concept, sold his company to Warren Buffett. Um, I had an opportunity to learn at, at his feet, right? And, and, and learn from him from business. Yep. And... It was fascinating to hear all kinds of stories. I could get into them, but one of the most fascinating was, uh, you know, he is a young man, uh, was, you know, growing this business in, in Cambridge. And uh, the war effort now came. Uh, what is this now? We're, we're talking about uh, early 40s, mm-hmm. right? Uh, as, as we, because the war effort over there is already ramped up, but we're not in it yet. Uh, but as soon as we get in it, what does that mean? It means that we now have to tool up for war, and we've now coming out of a depression, right? So we were not prepared for that in any shape, way, or form. We're, again, coming out of the depression where everybody uh, has been out of work and struggling. They've, they've, everybody's lost 60 pounds, right, per person. Yep. 
Uh, and so now all of a sudden you have to prepare for, you know, we're all in. And that was everybody all in. And, you know, what he had to do is they commissioned him, Carl Barron, in his factories because he had furniture. So he had warehouses in and around Cambridge and Boston. And he, they now said, I'm sorry, remove all that stuff. We're retooling your factory, and you're gonna you're gonna build transistors that are gonna be uh, going underwater in the tr- what was the, then gonna be the transatlantic cable that got laid for the first time, which uh, had instant communication between us and in uh, England. Yep. Right. Yep. Which was hugely important, obviously, for the war effort uh, in, in in being the Allied sides. So he, throughout the war, just made transistors. Because then they had U-boats all the time or those submarines that were trying to knock those things out constantly. And so they had to just keep, you know, it's just a constant battle um, on that front. But, you know, again, it was interesting because it was everybody stopped what they were doing. Everybody manufacturing business, people, men were off to war, women were entering into the factories and working for the first time. Right. Mm-hmm. Super important that everybody was affected by that. Right. And then you progress and you get into Vietnam and that's where, you know, Rachel Maddow lays it out, which is such a great point. It, it you, you now saw this change where uh, people were at war, but back home, everybody hated it. And it was all this politics and why are we there? And then it turned against the troops. Yep. And that's a Colin Powell era type guy. And he was then coming out of Vietnam going as soldiers were coming home and getting spit on. Yep. Right? These poor kids. They didn't have a say in this. They were just being sent over there and told what to do. But so in doing the investigation and looking back on that, that's what they compared it to is the World War Two going we this this is if anything else what Vietnam showed us is that war is so important that if 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 and when we ever decide to go to war again, it's everybody and everything or nothing. Right. That's the kind of level that we need to have when we look at this and go into war. And Colin Powell came out saying that, right? Like this was in in, in, in charge of that and, and that was so important. And that's where it all started falling apart again, right? And, yep. and into where we're at right now, which is the scariest thing coming away from that. And we're so much closer back to Vietnam, but even worse, not sure how familiar you are with this, but we have a lot of private quote unquote military, right? That's with the true. war on terror and, you know, especially in the Bush era with waterboarding, you, you couldn't have U.S. soldiers being caught, especially with the Abu Ghraib pictures and video coming out. That taught them, you can't have this. We're, we're, we, we create and train fighting and killing machines, not coming into your country occupying soldiers. Right, right. right. That was a major problem. And then what happened is that people, we've been in Iraq and Afghanistan for so long, it's just like we go to work and in school every day and we don't even think about it. That's true. It's not even on the radar, right? Not even on the radar. And we're right back to where we, we showed it, you know, we're essentially at Vietnam. But the difference being now is that when they now show us these photos of like innocent Iraqis and innocent people getting slaughtered over there, either by our drones or by our actual 
military and bombs. We just watch it as another YouTube clip, and we don't even we're not even bothered by it. We don't even spit on our soldiers when they came home. We're not even disgusted by it. Yep, it's it's now That's the difference. We're anest- how scary that is. We're right? anesthetized to it. It's like it's like we're numb to it. It's, it doesn't even affect us anymore. Totally. And then you have like people who should be against the war, quote unquote, in the words that Democrats like Hillary and they were trying. They Look what she did in Libya. Yeah. Look at what Obama going back to. And this is why I bring this up. The legacy. Like what legacy are we talking about with Obama? Yeah. It's insanity. Right. Yep. And this is why I wanted to connect that last point is that the leader of this, right, the leader of this moment, the leader of the hope and change movement who completely went in and finished Bush's job. And what I mean is he finished destabilizing the Middle East, Libya, right, and yep. Gaddafi, uh, Syria more recently with um, – with uh, who's the guy? Uh, Assad. Bashir al-Assad, yep. right, who's there now, and they couldn't get him out. Yep. That guy's got to feel like a lion right now, doesn't he, by the way? Holy shit. Oh, wow. <laughs> what a fucking badass. Well, you know why he's still alive is because Vladimir Putin backed him up. Of course he like, is. Yeah, of fuck course. that. Of it's course. like a personal thing against Hillary and her cabal. Yep. Yep. It's very interesting. It's very but, interesting. And, but you're right, though. We talk about – I know we're jumping around here, but we talk about the handoff of the baton, right? So it went from Bush to Clinton to Bush to Obama. And, yes, three, four different guys, three different guys. Um, but and, and, and like you know, and, and that's the scariest part. Just making that last connection, and this is what's scary the most is connect is that people are they look at Obama like a messiah, yeah, and it's like they should be looking at him with the the glasses of going, you dropped twenty one thousand bombs in two thousand six, uh, or you know what was that date, two thousand fourteen, yeah, uh, in the Middle East. Right. right. How many innocent people did he kill? Like, he got the Nobel Peace Prize. And now they're talking, which they're now talking about rescinding from him because of the Hezbollah he stuff. should. Listen, motherfucker, excuse my language, but if Reggie Bush, if Reggie motherfucking Bush and the USC Trojans get a national championship and he gets his Heisman Trophy stripped away for, like, taking some money for some shoes and, like, whatever else the fuck he took, yep. if you're not taking... Barack Obama's Nobel Peace Prize away after he dropped all those bombs and killed all those people? Right. Are you out of your mind? Right. What is wrong with the world? Come on. It is crazy. It's very crazy. Um, so, that, so, yeah, but... The financial world, you know, we are skipping around, but I think, that, you know, I like connecting these dots. It makes me think of this. Is that, like, I, I you know, listen, I, I'm now, I'm operating a business where we're a licensed broker-dealer. Uh, you know, we're doing... Uh, transactions and talking to only accredited investors because of the type of investment that we're bringing, uh, you know, that these are the only sophisticated investors can, can look at this type of stuff, right? And there's all these rules and regulations that we hop around and we're actually bringing really great real estate investable private product to uh, people. Yep. That could invest and should invest in this stuff, going right. through our due diligence, blah blah blah. And here we are, fucking watching Bitcoin and Litecoin and all these cryptocurrencies that have no oversight, they have no regulation, and they're just complete speculation. And there are people mortgaging their house to put into this shit, and the government hasn't stepped in and said a fuck all. Right. You don't say. You don't. You don't think that. People like me and the rest of people on Wall Street and, and people who are governed by the SEC and FINRA are sitting here looking at this shit going, are you fucking kidding me? This is why we have a government. Right. This is why, for exactly this reason, when when the biggest 
Ponzi scheme and they're they're flaunting it. It's like the Big Short when he's sitting there. Do you remember? Do you remember the movie? I don't know if people have seen the Big Short. Do you remember oh, the yeah. Big Short? You seen that? Yep, a bunch of times. Do you remember the, one of the many famous scenes? I love this movie. In that movie, when you know the two mortgage guys who were kind of dunces down in Miami, they're like kind of yabro dudes, right? They're oh like, yeah, they're a bunch of lax bros that are just like yeah, they're made, they're yeah, killing it, but they don't know what they're doing. Got strippers, yep. and, you know, and I did a hundred mortgages, and I do it to illegals and the ones that don't speak English, so I can just make them sign it, and I make all this money. And you know, the famous character there, played by uh, you know, what's his name? Was it Brad Pitt? Not Brad Pitt. Steve Carell. 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 He 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 calls his. He goes, hold on, guys. He calls his bossy over, and he goes, wait a minute. I don't understand. Are these guys admitting to us about all of these crimes? Like, are they admitting it? And their guys look at him back at Carell, and they go, no, no, they're bragging about it. Yeah, exactly. I remember that exactly. Yes, like I remember that scene. And he's like, right? He oh, and he like got it right. And it's like that. Yes, this is what's happening here. Like Bitcoin. These people, like, it's insanity. This is supposed to be a currency, Ross. This is a currency. This isn't a stock. Look at the volatility. Look at the volatility. You think of, think of, if you understand retail, right? Retail uh, business, uh, uh, grocery stores. Think of any grocery store that you shop at and buy food at. What do you think their margins are in what they make after, at the end of the year, after selling millions of dollars and millions and millions of products what's their margins pretty low i would think what's low oh maybe two percent three percent two to three at the highest percent and think about that after all of the energy that's there all of the produce that could go bad the employees uh, they're looking at two to three percent yeah let me ask you this a company that's doing retail like that which is a big thing like that's why i bring up shopping like it's a practical thing that we all do in society yep <laughs> with the volatility of bitcoin and litecoin when are you going to be able to go in and buy your groceries at Bitcoin, uh, with Bitcoin and Litecoin? Not anytime soon. Not anytime. What do you mean? But this is the future currency that fucking, this is unbelievable. Everybody has to buy into it. This is the future. Right. But it picked Oh, so you're, wait, wait, so hold on. Let's replay this. So you're telling me, okay, okay, I'm listening to you. This is the future. <laughs> this is the future. But you're telling me that no time soon can I go in and I can just buy groceries. No. Correct. Wow, that's Correct. kind of pro. That's that's, that's how very much like the, a very positive future. Right, and you can't. So in other words, you these these stockbrokers, these these people uh, pumping those those the the Bitcoin, they can't even buy drinks for the the girl that they're dancing with at the dance club, oh, or, or at the yeah, bar. They can't they can't even buy a drink with it. They can't even buy the most expensive martini on the menu with it. It's not. No, it's ridiculous. It's and not liquid. Serious business is not going to take it, and why is because the volatility, right? You know, it started the day at sixteen thousand today. By uh, an hour into trading, it was up to nineteen five, and an hour later, it's down to seventeen. Right? Yeah. And it's like if you're a grocery store and you're working off those type of margins, or a million other businesses out there in a million—not a million, but a lot of other industries. Yeah. It's too volatile. You you you'll never never take it because what you could be taking and somebody could be buying something at uh, 19,000 and by the end of your closing business day the the bitcoin's worth worth 9,000 it's worth it's lost half its value yep it has that, i mean that's that's so again, 
it, it's 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 this it, the whole thing is just a Ponzi scheme. It's horrible. But anyways, okay. So we yeah. completely digressed. Yeah. I went up we up. only digressed into neoconism, into uh, Bitcoin. But no, that that's all part of the journey. That's all part of the journey. Um, educating okay, so the listeners. Back on track, Ross. Where were we? So so just to kind of close the loop on the whole tax bill. Um, you know, we talked about the good as far as the bad. The estate tax remains. The death tax, as it were. Um, the AMT is kind of reduced slash killed, but some of it's kept a little bit. Um, they do all this phase-out stuff. Nothing's really permanent, blah, 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 but you folks kind of suspected that. Um, it What it does is uh, also, so, and i got to read up on this, but at a high level, and this is something that I'm into because I used to do hedge fund accounting, uh, and I would see the performance fees and the management fee, all that stuff that these companies give for investing in derivatives and, and different types of hedge fund vehicles. Um, they're going to close a lot of the loopholes uh, for some of the hedge fund managers. Um, so when you hear guys making hundreds of millions in the stock market and in hedge funds, and there's a hedge fund manager that, you know, the, the hedge fund itself is worth $3 billion. He's made about $700 million of profit over the years. Those types of loopholes are closing. Um, so I'm not someone that says tax people their fair share. Normally when it comes to corporations and, you know, this, the privately wealthy on their income. Um, but what we can do is for some of the derivatives, which derivatives got us into our mess in 2008. Um, so they're the ones that only like a handful of people know what they're doing. Anyone with a pulse can set up a, a hedge fund. So a lot of people, much like those bros you talked about from Big Short, are going into hedge fund. Uh, so now they're going to close some of the loopholes. That's going to bring some more tax revenue in. It's going to either close up the revenue revenue stream. I mean, it's going to close up the ability for portfolio managers to take a bigger cut of whatever performance returns they get. Um, and it's going to bring more money in that way. So that's, you know, so if a lot of groups are getting tax cuts, uh, you're going to A, bring in corporate corporations building plants and doing all this stuff to get the, the, the money back into the United States, which further drives up GDP. Uh, but you're also going to tax heavier the hedge fund industry um, for the disgusting amount of returns they got on fake vehicles all these years. So I'm actually happy about that. If you overtax them, you'll get less of the undesirable uh, investment vehicle, which means it'll tone down some of the derivative investing, which got us into trouble in the first place in 2008. Uh, but closing the loop, I mean, as it stands right now, I find it very strange that Obama in eight years couldn't get above 3% GDP with about $5 trillion of money printed out of thin air from the Federal Reserve um, and all of his initiatives that got a lot of retail people working but not really the private sector boom that we were looking for. Wages are still flat. Uh, now with Trump, yes, wages are still flat. Unemployment's below 4.3%, which is full employment. Uh, workforce participation continues to tick up, uh, but GDP is slated to go between 3 and 3.5% this year. We thought that was impossible. People said on the campaign trail, for Trump to get above 2.7% is unheard of. It's not going to happen. But if it does happen, it'll happen late in his tenure. This is the first year, and he's going to probably hit 3.3% GDP for the year, which we thought was impossible. But he's putting the right, uh, you know, uh, uh, landmarks in place, the right policies in place. And this is with half of the Republican Party not even going along with him. 
no Democrats going along with it, fine. That I mean, the Republicans played obstructionist during the Obama years on the health care thing, and they took a lucky roll of the dice, and it worked out for Republicans because it was a disaster. Um, but from a Trump perspective, he was feuding with all the Democrats, and he's feuding with half the Republicans, and through sheer force of will, was able to get this friggin' tax bill passed a lot faster than it's going to take to get the Obamacare passed. So that, that's a big victory. We're going to get above 3% growth. The stock market is flirting with 25000 We talk about it being a bubble every single episode, so we're not being cheerleaders here. But if you are invested through your 401k or your private brokerage account, to go from 20000 when Trump takes office, it's now 25000 as the year ends. Uh, my calculations say that is a 25% return on the stock market in one calendar year. That is fucking crazy. That is unheard of. The numbers were supposed to go in the opposite direction. Um, the jobs were supposed to go in the opposite direction. The GDP was supposed to go in the opposite direction. Uh, stock market going down, the currency being you know, thrown out. No, quite the opposite, because Trump's a businessman. He knows what he's doing. Um, whether you like him or not, that's fine. You're entitled to hate his guts. But at the end of the day, people, and they're saying, I mean, Alec Baldwin's brother today said uh, he thinks Alec will vote for Trump in 2020 because he's going to like the money uh, and, and tax cuts he's going to get, even though he's one of the wealthier ones. So it's very interesting to see how this works. I think if the economy goes the way it's going now and all of the stuff that we've talked about, the deep state, all that stuff gets broken and the storm hits and all the indictments come. At last check, the indictments are at 4,500 of sealed indictments uh, across the country, uh, namely in D.C., Virginia area. Um, that will guarantee his re-election, and Bannon will be right where he says he's going to win with 400-plus electoral votes. Uh, that's kind of where it's all going, if he's successful. Um, so we signed him to a four-year term. If you don't like it, vote him out. I don't expect everything to be done in the first year. Trump's By Trump's admissions, he said, give him two years to drain the swamp, two years to start getting his policies in place. That's uh, right. And, then the and until then, get in the back of the bus and shut up. Shut up. Exactly. Shut up. I mean, if you, either help or shut up. Or exactly, and and to be fair, and I think we said this a couple episodes ago. You know, we've tried establishment Democrat financial policies, economic policies. We've tried establishment Republican financial economic policies. Everything benefited the corporations from a uh, let them do whatever they want perspective. Uh, didn't do anything for the corporate rate. They paid off their friends. Uh, they built more dependents. We gave them government bailouts. Uh, taxpayer bailouts. That's not that's not what we're doing anymore. And so now we have the Trump way of doing things. And if that doesn't work out, then we're going to fall into socialism. So the Bernie way of doing things. And Republic and Republicans and conservatives and libertarians and Tea Party types, they can't complain if they don't get on board with the Trump version of economic policy growth. Um, and because the next failure is going to be socialism. And we can't complain. In other words, look, we haven't tried it yet. Trump's way didn't work. Bush's way didn't work. Clinton, Obama's way didn't work. Reagan's trickle down worked a little bit. Um, but again, if all that fails, um, we're going to have to say, look, let's roll the dice with the Bernie way of doing things, whether we like it or not. So this is, you know, Trump is no libertarian. He's no Austrian economics guy. 
That's the part I don't like about one of the big things I don't like about him. He hasn't embraced Austrian economics yet. Um, but if Rand Paul is silently advising, which I think he is behind the scenes on some of the libertarian issues, I think Trump will see the light. And again, the guy became a billionaire four or five times over. Yeah, he started with $100 million, but do the math. That's a really big return on investment. That's a bigger return on investment than any other president we've had. Um, so I'll take that any day. So just let it play out. If you don't like where it's going, he'll get his ass kicked in 2018 and 2020. And the market will correct it. The pendulum will go back to the Democrats. That's how it's always worked in this country. So if the policy doesn't work, fine. Don't hyperventilate. Let it play out. And if it sucks, he'll get his ass kicked. So that, I mean, that, and that's just, that's energy conservation 101. Don't hyperventilate over imaginary people that are going to die because the tax bill doesn't look the way you wanted it to uh, because the Paris Climate Accords don't, you know, we're not part of that anymore uh, because net neutrality uh, was removed um, because, you know, XYZ policy didn't go the way you want. It doesn't mean people are magically going to die. Um, don't fall for that trap, crying Chuck Schumer, all that stuff. Um, I know that was a long-winded response, but like seriously, folks, just let it digest what's happening. Watch what it does to wages, the unemployment rate, participation, the stock market's already priced it in. Uh, that's one of the drivers of the, the, the last 1,500 jump in the Dow, which we know is a bubble, but hey, ride the bubble. Your 401k is going up and then get the GDP between three and four. Four is like the next hurdle. We can do that. Then it's like, now we're cooking with gas and Trump will guarantee re-election. Re but that benefits everybody. So it's all connected. So let them do. Just, uh, I just uh, before we end that, I just want to uh, have a running count because we're in, you know we're at this nice celebratory time in our country, Christmas time, Hanukkah for our Jewish folks, and you know we're almost a, we're we're a year after Donald Trump is elected. We're not quite year into a year into his presidency, um, but you know it, it, we as we know in America there's only a four year guaranteed term so it's almost about 25% right yep. or a quarter of the way through his term and as Adolf Hitler right cuz that's what <laughs> who he is totally. the next reincarnate totally um, how many Jews has he killed oh he's killed he's killed, at least uh, zero zero <laughs> okay so uh, Hitler killed how many Jews? Six million. Six to eight million. So at this pace, uh, Trump has to kill how many now, Ross? You're the math guy. Um, he's going to have to kill six million. Six to eight million. Six to eight million, but yeah. broken off into three years versus the four he had when he started. Like, he's at a really bad pace. To he's at a really, like, Trump is at a horrible Jew-killing pace right now. Um, he's going to have to average. That's got to that's that's really disappoint Democrats who just convinced that he's up. Yep. Uh, yeah, that's like 2.75. But it's not so much weird because we know that they also created the KKK. Right. Yeah, he has to, I mean, that's correct. That's absolutely correct. Um, but Trump, I'm doing the math here. Trump's going to have to kill between 2 and 2.5 million Jews for the next three years to equal Hitler at his first term. And so uh, how many is that per day? Oh, uh, a uh, couple. <laughs> I don't know. Right, well, I mean, dude, that's that's there's 365 times three, and then divided by the six point or this eight six and a half eight million whatever that is. All right, w whatever the math is, it's like a thousand a day, maybe. That's right. a lot. That's a lot of Jews to kill to for a guy to become Hitler. Um, and and one other Hitler thing, 
Remember when he took the guns from everybody? Obama? No, Trump's coming to get the guns because he's Hitler. Um, dictators take guns. So remember, remember when he did that? Oh right. Mm, yeah. Um, oh, remember when? Remember when he said government needs to all be right in D.C. with him, so he can have control of everything. And he he doesn't like to delegate. He likes to make the decision on everything. He doesn't want subject matter experts. He wants to be the final say. Correct. Oh. Do you remember? Do you remember when he backed out of the Paris Climate Accord and everyone was going to die within like twenty four to forty eight hours? Yeah, lot, like we lost a couple million there. Um, the tax bill, I think, killed. I think twenty uh, twenty thousand people died last night because of the tax bill. Um, and then when net neutrality, when that decision came down, um, my internet was lost and I haven't gotten it back. And then, oh, and like 7,000 people died that night. I have lost all speed. I don't even know how I'm making this phone call right now. And I don't know how Comcast is investing $5 billion. Like, that's yep. must be socialist or communist. It's, and then did you see what he, oh, did you see what he did to Moeller? He fired the shit out of Moeller. Because he's got something to hide. He fired Moeller. Moeller's right, done. Right. Moeller's done. Oh, he fired his ass because uh, of his obstruction and everything. Um, so if you don't have a sarcasm detect detector, really, it's the opposite. So so Trump has said about 500 times, no, I'm not firing Mueller. The guy's almost done with his investigation. I'm going to get a clean bill of health. Um, also, Trump is a big fan of delegating to the subject matter experts. That is not something a dictator does. He wants people that know energy better than him to run the energy department. So Rick Perry, run with it. Uh, you know, urban development, Ben Carson, you're the one in the role. You're smarter than me. Go do it. Um, he's big like that with his generals. Mattis, there's a funny story. Mattis called him to ask about some military, uh, question. And, uh, he asked Trump cause everyone's scared. Oh, we got to ask Trump permission. Trump said, why the fuck are you calling me? You, you're the one in charge of it. Go do it. Do what you think is right. You, you're smarter than me. Go do it. Don't ever call me about something stupid like this again. You have authority. And then Mattis was like pleasantly surprised. Like, this is fantastic. Uh, Trump wants to move and decentralize agencies out of D.C. Did you know that? Um, he wants to push out. So if you think of, we hear the stat, the stat that 7 out of 10 richest counties in the country are surrounding D.C. Because all the lobbyists and the, all the government bigwigs all live there. Uh, and they get all their 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 handouts and kickbacks and everything and live in Virginia and D.C., beautiful area. He wants to spread out across the country all of the government agencies. That makes it harder for him to be a dictator, right? If, right. This is not like Hunger Games where uh, the, the city of Panem is where, you know, the leader and emperor lives, right? And everyone is at his beck and call. He runs the show. He's got a fascistic totalitarian grip. Trump wants to delegate and he wants to decentralize. Those are not things that a dictator does. So if you recap, uh, he's delegating, he's decentralizing, he's not micromanaging. That's always been his style to not micromanage. It's been successful. Um, and he's letting the military do what they think is best. Uh, he has Mattis in charge, who's one of the most respected military men of all time. Uh, he's not touching our guns. In fact, he's opening up some of the uh, legislation, or he will be in, in future years, 
uh, to allow more widespread gun ownership for those that are well-behaved and not criminals or not sick in the head, that kind of stuff. Those are not things a dictator does. He's also cutting back on the amount of wars we're involved in. Um, he's doing peace through strength. He's strengthening all the other nations. You saw, okay, weren't we supposed to be at war with North Korea by now? Doesn't that, you know, predictably de-escalate? You know, you, you'll hear the media saying, oh, we're, we're one minute to midnight because he's going to attack North Korea and I don't want this guy's finger on the nuclear button. Um, it quietly just kind of de-escalated. And we know the CIA is running North Korea and they're trying to goad Trump into a war. Trump's not falling for it. He's not falling for it. Uh, what he's doing in the Saudi Arabia, we've talked about the purge in Saudi Arabia. Well, that's cleaning things up. Did you know he's, you know, by moving the, the embassy to Jerusalem, um, countries are, Muslim countries are starting to get on board with it. Jordan and Egypt are on board with it. Saudi Arabia says, yes, we'll build an embassy in eastern Jerusalem. Unheard of. Saudi Arabia has purged its asshole princes and the new crown prince who's going to be king within the next year is working with Israel for the first time in decades uh, and they're cleaning up ISIS. ISIS is almost removed at this point, knock on wood, but all the terrorists are running. I, I just read 10 minutes ago, Steve, Hamas is giving up the Gaza Strip. <laughs> Holy shit. Hamas wow. is basically saying, yeah, okay, we're, you guys can keep, you can keep those settlements. I'm, we're going to go somewhere else. Because they're getting blown out of the tunnels. Um, so things are changing. There's a sea change. And Trump has not started any wars. Uh, I'm sure we're killing terrorists at a rapid pace. But the guy is not doing dictator things. He's also 71 years old. Uh, and unless you're Mugabe in Zimbabwe, um, you're not really... I mean, Trump's not... The, he wants to get the country right. If, you're, if, you're, if your platform is MAGA, Make America Great Again neocon wars is not the way to do it because he knows if he's going to cut into the debt, which is what he's going to probably do in the, in the next couple of years and really make a dent, um, he can't be doing expensive wars. So you're not going to see dictatorial Hitler type wars where you're spending billions on, you know, imperialism. That's not going to happen. Um, he's not going to be funding through the CIA, you know, more rebels that end up being Al Qaeda, ISIS, Al Nusra, Boko Haram to the tune of 500 million. That's not going to happen. Um, he's letting Mattis do his cost cutting. Um, he's surrounded by generals. Generals are the ones that prevent a coup. Uh, so like, uh, you know, prevent a coup and prevent a dictator. So all this stuff together and in, in, in year one, we're kind of seeing how it's going to play out. Um, he's working deals with countries that we never thought he'd be doing deals with. We saw Macron, who's the globalist Manchurian candidate, hustle, to run into being a picture next to Trump. I mean, that would be unheard of. They hit it off. Uh, Trump hit it off with Justin Trudeau, the cuck in Canada. Um, again, the guy's a deal maker. Doesn't have to like him personally, but he's a deal maker. So I know, again, I know that's a mouthful, but to our friends on the left, it's fine if you hate him. It's fine. I don't like him as a person, really. But policy wise, you're going to see some things that you never thought were possible because you're entrenched, you're sucking on the tit of the Democrat Republican you know, duopoly slash uniparty. Uh, and that's why you can't see things outside of your normal prism or your echo chamber. Um, so that's kind of, that's kind of where it sits right now from an economic perspective. We gave you the domestic and then the international and kind of where it's going next. But um, we're an hour 10 in. Do you want to 
Wanna, this is a lot to digest for this episode. Do you want to call? No, let's go to the next one. <laughs> okay. Let's talk about the next one. What's the next subject? So the next subject was going to be Deep State. Um, deep State. And so we talked about high level. Uh, Andrew McCabe, the number two, was in this hot seat for eight hours yesterday. His answers aren't matching up with what some of the other witnesses and interviewees said. That's bad. Um, notice there wasn't any leaks because Adam Schiff has been silenced. Uh, he was the one leaking. He's on the House Intel Committee. He was the one leaking all of the information that comes out of these discussions. You think Schiffy was leaky? Oh, Schiffy was leaky. Totally leaky. Um, so I think what, what's happening is when you go into these closed-door sessions, if anything leaks, you go right to jail. <laughs> so I think Schiff, since it was a closed-door session, um, you know, he was caught accusing himself to go to the bathroom and then for 15 minutes, and then magically the Washington Post or CNN or Politico would get some, some lead about conversations that were happening behind the scenes that would ultimately be proven false because he added his little color to it. Um, it's real funny how it's all working, but, but Adam Schiff is in the hot seat right now. Um, Dad, uh, blah, 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 blah. Andrew McCabe is in the hot seat right now. Uh, if something leaked yesterday, it would have been leaked to make the Republicans look bad, make Trump look bad. Since nothing was leaked, that means it wasn't really going well for McCabe. Uh, and it also says that if someone was in a position to leak, they chose not to leak because it wasn't beneficial information to leak. And then today we find out that McCabe was not truthful. Um, there are rumors that he has joined the ankle bracelet club. Uh, which consists now of, you heard it here first, uh, Huma Abedin, uh, at least one of the Podesta brothers, John McCain, and the voodoo priestess herself, Hillary Clinton. Um, and there's also a heavy, heavy rumor that when Trump was at Camp David tweeting out the other day, they were talking military tribunals for all the people that this storm is going to is going to take down these international uh, kingpins um, and anyone obstructing justice through the FBI. What do you DOJ. mean? What do you mean a tribunal? What do you mean? So in other words, they're going to get, and I I want to make sure I get this right. They're not going to give them the normal. They're not going to throw the normal law book at them. They're going to give them the military tribunal treatment because the sedition and treachery that the FBI and DOJ is committing. And all these leaks we're committing is treasonous and seditious. And that has its own, that carries its own penalty that the military tribunals will have to review. And they're not going to take kindly to government types lying and sweating and being mealy-mouthed and talking out of both sides of their ass. It's going to be very interesting these next couple weeks to see what happens. Because there's a rumor right now that there are about 4,500 sealed indictments, as I said earlier. Uh, some of them could be related to FBI, DOJ. Some of it's probably drug-related, uh, you know, other things. But there is rumors and heavy rumors from the intel community that a big sting is going on right now in the D.C. area uh, and that the draining of the swamp will be commencing very soon. Um, so what are some of the rumors? Give me some of the rumors. So I'll, I'll, I'll give you the rumors. Um... I won't give you the source. We've already told you the source before. Um, it's up to the listener to decide whether they want to hunt down and go down that rabbit hole. But as of right now, there's rumors that 
Soros uh, is has been extracted from wherever he was hiding or holed up. Uh, he's now under custody. That's a rumor. Uh, there's rumors that the Atlanta shutdown of the airport was based on a failed missile launch slash extraction of a uh, a let's say infamous individual that was trying to escape from indictments in D.C. There are rumors that that could have been McCain because there was a lot of flights routed from Dulles Airport in D.C. to Atlanta. And that's when the shutdown of Atlanta Airport happened. Uh, so there's rumors there. There's rumors that the extraction in Atlanta led to a false flag CIA attack in Tacoma, Washington, the Amtrak derailment. Um, again, rumor. There's rumors that Antifa was involved in the Amtrak derailment because they wanted to make a, a point about uh, cutting into you know, federal land or people's land to, to build more track. Uh, they cemented, they sabotaged the tracks. Uh, you know, one, one, one millionth of the whole available track space was over an overpass, which is exactly conveniently where the train crashed. Of all the spots, uh, that, that reeks of sabotage to me. Um, there's rumors that, uh, so not only is the Ankle Bracelet Club expanding, um, but that other members of the FBI DOJ will be joining them to include maybe Comey, Eric Holder, Loretta Lynch, uh, Susan Rice, do you think that that's why Eric Holder has been like making these cryptic tweets like over the past week? I definitely think so. And actually, go back to June, at the end of June, Eric Holder put out a tweet that said cryptically to his DOJ people, you're going to be put in tough situations over the next couple months. Stay strong. We have your back. In other words, why would DOJ and FBI people be interviewed really intensely if the Mueller investigation was just investigating Trump satellites, do you think that that's? Do you think that that's? I bet you that that's what General Kelly is there for. I bet you General Kelly is so important in all this. Like, number one, he's running interference with all of those like people that were close to Trump at the very beginning from the old White House that were trying to get close to him, like succubuses and like yep. take him down, right? And so he's running interference there. Well, I think that he's also orchestrating like all of this stuff on the back end, too. That's a good point, because we always talk about how Trump smartly surrounds himself with generals. So I know you and I, Steve, don't really like McMaster, but time will tell on whether he's a good guy or a bad guy. McMaster is uh, a snake. We, I, I don't have to wait time yeah. to know that, I really believe. Okay, fair enough. And I'm, I'm in that category, too. But if he turns out to be a true patriot, um, so be it. God bless him. But we know that... He's surrounded by Pompeo, who has military service as the CIA head. Admiral Mike Rogers in the NSA, uh, who's, wink, wink, a key player in all of these rumors being released via this, this NSA poster on 8chan, Q Anonymous, Q Clearance Patriot, um, who's just, and now it's going mainstream. This, this Newsweek did an article on it. They say it's more conspiratorial than Pizzagate. Uh, this this QAnon character who posts between like 10 and 1 in the morning each night. I watch it and I read it live. It's amazing what this guy is accurately predicting. Um, but I, I digress. Um, surrounded by Pompeo, General Kelly, General Mattis, uh, McMaster, Mike Flynn, who we know was gotten on a process crime, um, is the quiet hero behind all of this. So I think going forward... 
So what did this NSA guy post the other night? He said, trust Sessions. He said, trust Sessions, uh, which means Sessions is p- playing the best game of possum we've ever seen. Jeffrey Beauregard Sessions. And I think, you know, we, we've talked about this where I don't think you're sold that Moeller is on the good guy's side, that Sessions is on the good guy's side. And I don't think that Moeller – I think Moeller's just playing the middle and he's doing a job that was assigned to him. Uh, Sessions is a wild card. You can't take the Twitter beatdowns that Trump gave him publicly. You can't take the less woke type screaming, hey, Sessions, wake up. You're asleep. Do something. Do something. Guys, mark it down. Jeff Sessions is on the case. He's going to be on the Mount Rushmore when all this stuff happens. Ross, you're on record. So, and why do I say that? Well, I say it because back in January, we talked about this last time, the Office of Inspector General started their investigation into whether the FBI and DOJ uh, put the kibosh on any Hillary Clinton investigation. That's going to oh, be. Hold on, Justin. Fifth, third bank court. Yeah, that's the one I said. More than 13,500 employees a bonus and raise the minimum wage of its workforce to $15 an hour after the passage of the Republican tax plan. Wow. Yep, so we talked about it earlier, but the, the details weren't in yet. So, wow, now that we got numbers, that's incredible. Coke breaking. Wells Fargo, meanwhile, said it would be boosting its minimum wage for employees to $15 an hour, which was prompted by the tax plan. The San Francisco-based bank also said it would target $400 million in donations to community and nonprofit organizations next year. Holy shit. This is day one, Steve. Day one. Cincinnati-based fifth third in the 15th largest U.S. bank by asset size says the tax got allowed it to reevaluate its employees' pay and pass along some of the windfall. Wow. That is incredible. But that that is kind of government saying, make it easier for you to do business. We'll stay the hell out of your way. You do what you want with wages. I don't want the government touching and goosing up wages. Let companies dictate that. Correct, correct. That's right. Uh, so, okay, but but on the Sessions front, um, so we talked about Office of Inspector General investigating FBI and DOJ. Next month, Michael Horowitz, who's leading that investigation, who hates Holder, who hates all of the – he's a Democrat. He's an Obama appointee. Um, he will be releasing information. He's the one that has all the text between Strosak and Lisa Page and all that stuff. Um, so we have that. It's going to be a one-two punch that just knocks everybody the fuck out. Um, the other punch is going to be Jeff Sessions, who in May started election fraud investigation, as well as leakers. They're all over the leakers. Remember the other day when Jeff, uh, the other day, this summer, when Sessions had that big press conference and said, we are going after the leakers. Um, what I said about Camp David and the military tribunals, that's what they're going to do with the leakers. And that's what we're being telegraphed on. Jeff Sessions is on the case. We talked about that there's rumors that Alabama was stolen. Uh, I don't know yet. I think Roy Moore is just a bad candidate. But let's, let's see that play out. Um, but Jeff Sessions is on the case. He's playing possum. For those that aren't wrestling fans, it's when you pretend you're dead, but you're not really dead. Uh, you're just being real sly and crazy like a fox. That's, I think, what Sessions is doing, um, and that's all going to hit in the next couple weeks or early springtime. So 2018, what they want to do is if Trump has any cards to play with swamp drainage, he needs to play it in the first five months of the year 
because by the time you know late spring, early summer rolls around, you're in campaign mode for midterms. So you want to have all the headaches out of the way. You want to start lining up victories. If you drain the swamp between tomorrow morning, this could hit before Christmas. It could hit in mid-January when the OIG report is due. It could hit in, in, in early spring. Uh, the Mueller stuff you're hearing is going to drag it out throughout 2018. Uh, the Politico reporters that wrote that, or I think it was maybe Politico or Washington Post, they were they someone overheard them actually laughing about making up a line to throw in based on no sources. So I am not trusting anything I hear about the Mueller investigation uh, that comes out of Politico or the Washington Compost or the New York Times or wherever. Um, so things are very interesting. Sessions, I think Sessions will reveal his hand and it will be magical when it all comes to pass. Um, and then Mike Flynn has been coaching. This is all one big sting that was cooked up by uh, Trump and Mike Flynn, who's a 30-year spook, uh, and, and Jeff Sessions was roped into it. Rosenstein, who is the uh, deputy attorney general. Uh, he looks like a creep. He does look like a creep. His wife represented Bill Clinton back in the late 90s. So uh, he's a creep. He's, he looks like a creep, and I think, he's, I think he's deferring to the OIG report in January. So he's the one that's kind of weaselly. I think McCabe's going to be the fall guy. McCabe's going to have an ankle bracelet. He's the one going down. And then they might cut a deal with him if he talks and gives up other names. But that's kind of where the FBI investigation is going. Any thoughts on that? <laughs> Too many. Too see many. how it plays out. Yeah, see how it plays out. So so that was that was the deep state thing. I mean, we touched on that. We touched, touched on... Uh, the economy, like we covered a lot tonight. Bitcoin. Bitcoin, we touched base. I want to dedicate an episode to that. I don't want to force anything on that. Okay. Um, I think this is this is some nice little early Christmas present to our podcast listeners. A nice eighty minute podcast for their commute tomorrow. Yeah, Merry Christmas, everybody. I hope you have a fantastic time. If Ross and I don't uh, get to have another episode put down. Sounds like a plan. Do you want me to release this tonight or tomorrow? Yeah, release it tonight if you can. All right, I'll get it out in the next 10 minutes or so. But I'll talk to you before Christmas. But um, to our listeners, thank you for a wonderful 2017. Only getting better in 2018. We have a yeah, lot of... More things to come 2018. Super excited. And, and Steve, I was writing down the storyboard of what we have planned. And it's pretty diverse operating model. <laughs> we'll leave That's it at that. Stuff. We'll leave it at that. Um, so very excited. Uh, so thank you. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah to everyone. Uh, I'm not acknowledging Kwanzaa. Um, God bless everyone in the new year. And uh, we'll talk to you in 2018.